Today we're speaking with Dr. Nicole Chirsku. Nicole is a scientist and positive psychology coach. She helps her clients, often women in the STEM fields, strategically turn their career frustrations into career opportunities and a renewed love for their work. When should you leave your job and when should you stay? How do you find new and exciting challenges at work? How do you find happiness at work? And how do you deal with imposter syndrome? We'll discuss this and much more on the Coffee with a Recruiter podcast. Okay, um, I suppose we can start now. I've hit the record button. And uh, well, Nicole, how are you? How are you doing? I'm doing fine. It's Friday, so naturally cheery on that day. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, a Friday, what is this, 7 p.m. here in London is, you know, one of the best ways to spend your Friday evening. And I'm not being sarcastic. It's genuinely doing a podcast with an amazing guest and a talented person such as yourself. So thank you so much for making the time for this. Wow. Uh, it's my pleasure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, well, Nicole, you're so one of the things that that I was super interested in when engaging with you and discussing your background is that you're somewhat of a different uh, coach. And I don't, I'm not sure in sort of in what category to place you, because I would say maybe job coach, uh, but you approach it differently because you're not about the job search, right? You're more about, well, different things that will unpack. And you're also a career coach somewhat, but you also focus on a very specific side of persons or a demographic or a person's career, right? So I guess before before starting and unpacking sort of your 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 know-how and, and the topics we wanted to discuss, can you maybe give us an intro to yourself and what you're all about? Oh sure. That was quite a teaser for your audience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um yeah, so um my name is Dr. Nikolcieska. I'm a scientist originally i studied food chemistry i have a phd in chemistry and um, the first few years of my career i also spent doing science by mm, developing innovative consumer goods products for example doing product research um, but then a let's say a small crisis forced me to think differently about my career and i was i was already searching outside my uh, my company for for a new position uh, when simply taking new avenues trying new things and also enlisting the help of a coach to help me get out of my um, energy low um, just made new opportunities pop up like mushrooms kind of and uh, these new opportunities led to me making a 180 degree switch in careers within the same company but into a completely different field so from science I moved into change management in the supply chain area and I, I co-created that position with my new boss, basically. I, I wrote the job description myself, so meaning I created a job for myself that, uh, that I really liked and that I really wanted to do. At the same time, uh, next to my corporate job, I also started building my coaching practice because I really wanted to put all of what I have learned through my own journey, but also through my coaching training, um, yeah, I just want to, I want to make that available um, to other women in STEM, because what I ultimately, ultimately want to see is that people really thrive and flourish in their careers. And 
yeah, and that um, I and I don't think you always have to leave uh, leave the company and find a new employer in order to do that. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that crisis moment that uh, maybe compelled you or motivated you or or changed or or helped you realize what you wanted mm. to do and and help you realize you know what I need a different path and um, and I'm gonna take initiative right in order to uh, improve my situation or my career. It's um, uh, well, you know, it's it's interesting you mentioned that. Um, and I suppose starting with with your sort of approach to to coaching, and I suppose the not necessarily the job search, but essentially it is more about finding opportunities within your current company and and taking advantage of those, right? Yeah, yeah. So finding them because there are plenty. Um, we just need to be you know open to to seeing those. That was something that I really had to learn for myself because in so in German we have a saying which is called which which goes like Schuster bleibt bei deinen Leisten. And it means somewhat like that you should, you know, what you have learned or what you have what you have studied originally, that you should stick to that that for the rest of your life. Um, because that is what you know and that is what you're good at, full stop. And I grew up or was raised with that mentality, you know. You're a scientist, you're a food chemist. So anything that you ever do will have something to do with, with food or with cosmetics or th these types of, you know, packaging for these products. So I, I could, I could even for the first years of my career, I could never imagine even stepping outside of that, but it was being, being exposed to and getting to know other colleagues who were from other countries uh, specifically from the UK, who had a completely different attitude to jobs, you know, or, or to their profession. And it's like, yeah, of course I studied this, but why not go into this or that other area and so on? And <laughs> at the beginning, I found it completely outrageous, but it just shows how deeply ingrained that belief was forced to me. But um, soon enough, I also started to give myself permission to you know, explore even while still working in science, uh, but, you know, being part of other projects, more people related projects, because many companies have those cross functional projects, uh, where they always look for people who help out. And that's how I started experimenting and just seeing what topics really interested me outside of science. Well, it makes sense. I mean, if I I mean, I haven't recruited too much in Germany, but the times that I have, I tend to see that people what they what they study uh, eventually becomes their profession, and then they stick to that profession for quite some time, and they stay very long in the same company, which mm -hmm. is which is good because it speaks to things like job stability. Maybe they're fulfilled in their position, mm -hmm. but here in the UK, people change all the time. I mean, tenures are shorter. People do career switches that sort of stuff so you know there's pros and cons because then in in the uk maybe it's a case of having trouble finding the right opportunity or what's what's fulfilling for you so you keep switching but then maybe uh, in other cultures it's about oh you need to stay in that same job for a long time and if you don't then it might be a bit awkward or frowned upon right something along those lines mm -hmm. um well here's the here's the question because so if if you're if you're not looking to if if let's say you're looking to move um, from a from a company sometimes it's 
not necessarily for the right reasons, right? Sometimes you're just bored or maybe you're feeling unchallenged, but that may or may not be the right moment to make a switch. I mean, a question I wanted to, to ask you is, okay, let's say you're, you're, you're considering switching jobs, right? Or considering yeah. leaving a job. When should you really leave a job? And when should you say, you know what, I'm going to stick it out and I'm going to create my own opportunity? Like what, what, what are the different scenarios, mm. let's say? Yeah. I mean, uh, obviously, if you are um, treated discriminate or if you're discriminated against or if you're treated obviously unfairly or if you have you know tried your very best for the last three years to progress and or to to make to make a change then by all means um leave and and go somewhere where you are valued however um i have noticed both for myself but also for others that when we start in a new role it often happens that at the beginning, everything is super exciting, sometimes even maybe slightly overwhelming because everything is new, possibly. Yeah, it's, you know? it's that honeymoon phase, right? Yeah, exactly. So uh, you have that for probably, so the first six months is just crazy. Then uh, within the first year, you start to get settled in. And then within, you know, between 12 and 18 months, you start to have that first feeling of, oh, I don't really have anything to learn anymore. You know, it feels like you're plateauing and, and so it's easy to mistake that for a sign that, you know, okay, I have learned everything that I could do or that, that I could in this role. And uh, now I need a new challenge. I need to go find it, find, find another job. Um, however, what, what I observed for myself, but also for others that this is a really good chance. So first of all, you haven't learned everything. <laughs> it's just, you know, there will still always be new projects and new situations coming along. Um, and also this is a perfect time to really get creative with your learning and with your professional development, because now that you don't have to spend all of your time learning the technical aspects of your job or building the network that you need to get anything done, you have the bandwidth again to develop all of those other professional skills, you know, when it, you know, you can test out your own leadership skills by taking on more responsibility within the projects you're in. You can try out different ways of communicating, seeing how you, you know, make your case more compelling, for example, or more engaging to others. You can, you can see how you can up your skills in terms of stakeholder management and so on. So there are all of those other quote unquote, softer skills that you can train and which you really have the bandwidth for when you don't have to, you know, it's like not struggle so much, but also, you know, when you're not so occupied with still getting the hang on um, the technical aspects. Also, by, the, by this time, being 18 months into your role, you will have really the basics down of the technical aspects. You will have understood enough of how the department works and fits into the bigger picture in your company so that now you can really multiply the impact that you can have because you can think so much more proactively and so on so i'm just saying you know when you have that that first feeling of oh there's nothing else to learn or there's like i'm not progressing anymore then take that as a sign to get creative in terms of how else you could develop here because 
you probably started the job in the first place because you really wanted to do it. So don't give up on that. Well, that makes perfect sense. I mean, once you reach that maybe year, year and a half, sometimes sooner, sometimes later, but once you reach that comfort zone, mm-hmm. okay, then it's the time to give different activities and different responsibilities within the same company a chance, right? Instead of doing them when you're struggling, when you're yeah. barely able to, to let's say, accomplish your, your basic tasks. Mm-hmm. I mean, I as a, as a recruiter, at least I get it all the time when I'm speaking to candidates and they've only been maybe a year, year and a half, and already they're telling me, oh, I'm bored. So mm-hmm. I'm just open to opportunities and seeing what's out there. And I just think to myself, okay, but you've, you know, deep inside, I'm thinking to myself, you know, you've, you've only been there a year or so. <laughs> Are you sure? Are you sure you've explored everything? Or, And a lot of times, these are the candidates that end up not pulling the trigger when it comes to making a move, right? Like mm-hmm. they'll they'll back out of processes or or they're just jumpy, right? Like they'll move to one thing and then 12 months later, uh, they'll move again. And then six mm-hmm. months later, they'll keep moving around. But, um, you know, before doing that, it, you should really think about, okay, have I really um, accomplished everything I can uh, before switching jobs, I suppose, is, is kind of what we're getting at. Yeah. Yeah, well, I suppose, so you, you've outlined when should you stay and give different activities or responsibilities a try at work. What I'm wondering is, okay, so let's say, okay, let's talk about that moment when you're feeling under-challenged or unmotivated, and it's maybe that moment where it's like, okay, I need to do something about it and not just stay bored, right? And stay in the same company or make a move prematurely. So mm-hmm. I suppose one of the, the first, maybe the first step is finding new internal challenges at work, right? I mean, do you have maybe a guideline, a, um, a set of guidelines or, or rules mm-hmm. or steps that people at the very sort of beginning at day one of feeling bored can, can start doing? How do you approach that? Yeah. So I'm a huge fan of making yourself a development plan. I mean, if your company is any good, <laughs> then they will have, you know, they will help you create one and maintain that and your boss will help you too. But you really have to take ownership and responsibility for that because if you decide what you want to learn, then you will apply yourself much more because it's your own interest. And maybe there are a few questions. So anyone who feels a little bit under-challenged or unmotivated at the moment, um, maybe give, let me give you a few questions that you can ask yourself um, in order to start to come up with, you know, skills that you maybe want to build or strengths that you want to increase. So one question would be, what would I need to learn to get my job done even better, quicker, smoother, anything like this? Yeah. So there's there are always, you know, might it be uh, how to maximize the the uh, technology tools that we have? Uh, Is there a way to have better um, communication or do I need to build better relationships? Whatever, yeah, so really think about, you know, what do I need to learn in order to get my job job done better? The second one would be for you to just look around and think about, okay, what are others doing better than I? How can I learn from them? So there will always be people around you that are more advanced in different areas and just look around it's like you know sometimes you have those moments in meetings with ah oh, 
how did he do that? Or how did she do that? You know, so try catch yourself with this and then see what it is that they did there and see how you can learn from them. And a third one might maybe be, um, okay, so what am I doing better than others? Where am I more advanced? And how can I maybe teach them? Because um, teaching others and helping others develop is one of the is a key leadership skill. And you will also, you know, learn so much more, you know, when you, when you, when you, um, when you try out and teach others, you will start to understand whatever you're dealing with in a, on a whole other level. So I can really recommend that. And then maybe the last one might be the most challenging one is, okay, what have I been avoiding to do because it feels slightly uncomfortable or overwhelming or it fills me with self-doubt? So there are always these things that we don't, you know, I don't know, it's like maybe speaking up to that um, senior manager that we feel intimidated by or um, avoiding to um, get to know colleagues in different departments because we feel we don't have a good enough reason to talk to them or anything like that. Just, you know, something that we avoid, we, we find our workarounds, but maybe now's a good time to run a few small little tests, see uh, what comes out of that if we, if we start to face that challenge. Well, it makes sense. I mean, if you ask anyone, even if they're bored, there's always that elephant in the room of tasks they've been avoiding or procrastinating. Yeah. And, and because maybe people get afraid or intimidated or mm-hmm. overwhelmed or, or maybe they long, don't like those tasks, so they tend to avoid them, right? But hey, I mean, that only shows that you can still grow and improve. So you got things like, hopefully your company can help you out. You you can definitely do something about it. You can ask yourself, how do you improve your, your role and sort of productivity and, and learning from others, right? And seeing mm-hmm. like, hey, maybe there are mentors at my company or, um, yes. or colleagues, you know, people at my same level, but with different skills mm-hmm. that you can that you can learn from. Um, I think one one thing that I uh, that I think you mentioned in a previous um, discussion before the podcast was that if you if you don't learn these skills or if you don't sort of learn the way to upskill within the same company and and you make a move, you're gonna end up facing yeah. the same challenges um, at a again right in like six to twelve months time when you when you join your new company. Oh yeah, it's just like kicking the can basically. Um, <laughs> it's like literally like that, you know, um, because it's, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's just a different place, but you're still the same person. So that's actually something fascinating that I observe in my clients, you know, because when we work together, they obviously stay in the same role. I mean, they lay the groundwork for, for setting themselves up for bigger opportunities in the future. But during that short time that we work together, they stay in the same role. But, and, but when they leave or, or when, when we stop working together, when, when, when they complete, basically, um, then they are in, su- in such a better place mentally in terms of how, how they feel empowered how they um, how they like doing their work and 
you know, around them, nothing has changed. It's only what they're doing and how they view the things and how they approach um, their work is so different. And it's even, you know, it's like at the start of, uh, so we worked together over four months and basically at the beginning of the four months and at the end of the four months, I have them take this, um, this basically this psychological assessment, which among other things also measures job engagement and job satisfaction. And even with this scientifically validated test, basically, the numbers go up, you know? So it's their own perception of how I feel. And, um, and then even, and you can even measure it. So this just shows, you know, it's like, as long as you stay the same, you can be put in any places, you know, you, you, you can be miserable in paradise if you choose to, but um, you can, you can also um, be very very happy here on earth so yeah absolutely makes makes perfect sense it's so good that you that you mentioned that you know at the end of the day you need to well you need to push yourself from that perspective and and take advantage of the opportunities around you and I suppose one of the things that you also talk about um, in your sort of program and coaching is is communication right because it all starts mm -hmm. sort of with communicating what you want what you need what you want to mm -hmm. get out of your your role um it, i suppose that's one of the things you you work with when you're working with with clients right yeah yeah so there's really three elements that we work on together so and the focus is depending on what they need most and what kind of goals they set themselves so one part is definitely um, you know, this whole internal bit on how, how can I position myself as an expert and get recognized for that. And part of that is start taking yourself seriously enough. So that's one element. Second element is building connections and relationships in the company that help you get more done. Um, that is basically the fan base that helps you rise to new levels, uh, but do it in a way that is aligned with your values. And then the third bit is really communicating in a way that's in, that inspires others to take action. Because what many women in STEM tell me is that even when they dare speak up in meetings or present their ideas or, um, you know, take part in the conversation and the discussion, they sometimes feel their message doesn't land. And people just either look, look at them with like a blank stare, it's like, ah, oh, good to know, kind of, and then move on to completely other topics again. Um, or they say, yeah, yeah, that's really good. That's really good. That's important. We should do that. But then nothing comes out of that at the other end. And so that is, you know, this influential communication is really, really a key skill to build as well. Well, it's sometimes one of the underappreciated or, or understudied or underutilized components of, of communication, which is inspiring others, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, at least when it comes to hiring, and this may or may not be related to what you're saying, but a lot of times what hiring managers and, and interviewers look for is, oh, is this person likable, right? I mean, they mm -hmm. look at the skills, they look at their motivations, their experience, but, oh, do I get along with this person also? Do I enjoy being around them? Oh, do they maybe make me laugh or do they relate to me or do they try to understand and empathize with, with what I'm doing and my struggles and maybe get to know me a bit better on a personal level, right? Yeah. So being likable and, and inspiring and um, and someone that's, that's good to get along with, roughly speaking, 
is actually kind of important because at the end of the day at work, a lot of work gets done in small sort of mini interactions on the water mm-hmm. cooler and and by influencing and you influence because people like you, right? I mean, sometimes you you influence because people are like, oh, this person, oh, they're amazing. So yeah, I'm going to I'm going to move around things for them, something along those lines. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you have to, so so there's that relational aspect of it, but then there's also the element of structuring your communication and the, the words you say and how you say them. Um, and basically, in order to get that really down, uh, and this is where the relational uh, aspect helps as well, is to really put your empathy on steroids, you know, really it. So any good communication, when you want to influence others, then it always starts with knowing who you're talking to. So what are their goals, their problems and interests? And what is the kind, what is the type of language that they use? Not in this, you know, in terms of English or German, but you know, it's like you will you you will speak very differently with your peers in the lab than you will speak with the senior managers in the boardroom. Yes. So there's a completely different lingo that's at play there. And to really know that and, and know the other through having built a relationship is the first important point. And why is it so important? Because people are most interested in themselves. And if we can show we have just as much interest for them as they have for themselves, then um, it builds a lot of trust. Yeah. And, uh, it, and it just really shows that you're able to take perspective uh, from, you know, and consider the interest also of other departments and other teams. And then um, from there on, it's, and I have fallen into this trap myself. And um, I I see that mistake so many women in STEM are making because we are experts and we like to geek out about our topics because we're so fascinated by them. We kind of like drop all of the information that we have in one go. It's like a big bucket of water, basically. And it's just too much for people to take on oftentimes. So then it's like, especially when you're talking to people from other areas like marketing or, or you know, the, the business functions um, who maybe don't have a science background or, or a similar degree like you do in, in terms of the, the field that you're in, then... Have, then their eyes will glaze over and they will won't they won't understand any bits that you're saying so um you'll also have to learn how to first kind of like you know start teasing whatever you want to share and so that people first get it you know it's like like when you say you see a trailer for the movie and so you get just enough information to make a decision whether you're interested in hearing more And then when they ask you, okay, can you share more about this? Then you have the invitation to really go deep and then, and then you have the attention. Yeah. So this is the moment when you then choose to sit inside the cinema. I hope that will be possible to do soon again, but um, yeah, so that's, and I mean, these are just like super small examples here, but um, there's, there's a lot to know and to consider to, you know, if you really want to make an impact, and so many women in STEM do, for the greater good, then you need to learn how to share your ideas in a way that inspires action from others and rallies them to your cause. 
Yeah, I can I can relate to that, but I can relate with the person the the scientist is speaking to because yeah. I mainly focus on software engineer mm-hmm. hiring. And some of some of it I kind of understand, but then when it gets really technical and they start uh, explaining things in depth and talk about oh, you know, uh, whatever programming language and machine learning algorithms and this and that, then it's like, okay, hold on. Can you, can you explain it to me? Like I was, imagine I'm a four-year-old and, 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 and explain it to me like that, you know, Uh, um, which sometimes is, is unfortunate because sometimes you just, as a listener, you start to zone out and think, Mm -hmm. oh my God, what, what am I, I don't, I don't understand 90% of what this person's saying, you know? And, and it's a shame because in my job, I need to. So Mm that's where the sort of the challenge challenge uh, arises um yeah makes makes sense well i think one thing that 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 kind of leads us to is um so when it comes to you know we've discussed communication but i think part of it is also building visibility right and i think those are kind of related but mm-hmm. look ultimately when you're building visibility i mean it gets to things like you know you need to get things done at work you need to progress in your career uh, you need to um, um, let's say accomplish certain tasks. And I suppose part of that involves building visibility at a company and making sure that, you know, you're not just under the radar, but you're actually playing a central role and you're top of mind when decisions are are made. I suppose sort of that's where it's going also. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So you need a certain well, you don't need, you know, depends all on what you want. But oftentimes, if you want to progress, if you want to be part of the juicy projects, if you want to be considered for new positions, or, you know, being be invited to any kind of talent or development program within the company, people will need to know who you are, you know, it's really great if your boss likes you and uh, is a big fan of you, but it doesn't really help if you know, when they sit together once a year and review the talent list, and your boss says your name and then everybody goes like, I never heard of her or him, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just, it's just not helpful. And um, this visibility, it doesn't mean you now have to have lunch with a different person every day or have to introduce yourself everywhere, but just find small opportunities to show up Um one opportunity at a time but make it consistently you know uh, it can be it can be things like asking others for help uh, it is about just yes sometimes it is just about introducing yourself maybe you can um give presentations uh, to other teams about you know the area where you work that's always you know uh, cross-functional collaboration is always a big one um and so on it's like so really really get creative with that and um, yeah you don't have to give a presentation in front of the whole company but doing that one person or one team at a time uh, so that people can really can experience you you know that's also where we uh, where, where trust is really built you know it's, it doesn't trust doesn't come from your words but it's coming from people observing you how you show up and that you that you stick to what you say basically and that that's something experiential and it's really crucial so some people feel really really uncomfortable doing all of those things or mistake that for um 
yeah, just like uh, kind of like showing off or, or just like taking yourself so for so important that you have to be seen everywhere. But that's not what it, you know, I mean, it will be like this if this is your sole intention. But if your intention is to help others and to help the business and to, yeah, just really be genuine and wanting to build relationships and getting to know people as a human, then it will feel really, really different. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to visibility, I always imagine, okay, there's visibility, like building small relationships and one-to-ones and and coming back to the communication that we discussed, right? Mm -hmm. But then there's visibility in the examples that you mentioned, where it's not a back and forth conversation that you're having with one colleague, but it's like getting five colleagues together and presenting something, right? Mm -hmm. And just sending a calendar invite and saying, hey, look, we got this presentation um, you know, at, at 1 p.m. And yeah. I'm going to present and I'm going to walk you through a few things that might be interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm pretty sure a lot of people that are bored at work haven't really taken that plunge, right? And and improve their communication skills to really be able to influence at scale, right? I mean, there's influencing one-to-one and then there's like at scale influencing where you're talking in front of like 10, 15 colleagues or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it can be really fun doing these things, you know? Yeah, well, it, it, I mean, colleagues, I mean, it's weird, but colleagues are, are not there to, to bully you or to, they don't bite, you know? So yeah. there's this fear <laughs> that we have of speaking in public. It's, it's pretty weird, but, but it shouldn't be there because colleagues, if you're, hopefully if you're in a good company or, or a decent company, they kind of want to see you succeed also, right? Like, mm. oh, you know, uh, Nicole or Jose is presenting something. Let's go see what's up. Let's, 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 uh, let's listen and, uh, yeah. and ask questions. So they kind of have their, your best interest in mind. So, you know, don't, don't be scared. It's kind of the, the message there also. Yeah. Well, one thing that I that I wanted to to point out is that I think this this is all kind of leading us to to really being happy, right? Being happy at work and finding meaning at what we do. Um, I suppose would that be sort of the ultimate recipe? You know, good communication, um, finding new challenges, or or is it? Would you say there's a bit more to to finding true joy at work? Like, if someone tells you I'm unhappy at work, like, what would sort of be the the steps or the the sort of method to finding your your meaning is it more like understanding first okay first what makes you happy oh it's building good relationships well then you take it one step ahead or is it more like on a case by case basis i suppose how do you find you know happiness at work right <laughs> yeah so actually there's a lot of research so positive has really done or built a substantial body of evidence around that around the fact that to flourish and to find happiness both in life and at work, this is really, it's not a do this one thing and then there you go. But it, it is really multidimensional or multifactorial if you want. Um, so there are different, really a lot of different elements to that. Having good relationships definitely is one element. Um, then there's also... Um, you know, one big thing is positive emotions. It doesn't mean be happy all of the time. Yes, please don't mistake it (laughs) for this. But it means um, how can you have more moments in the day where you 
um, really savor or even create opportunities to experience positive emotions. And it's not just, you know, feeling happy, happiness or joy, but also feeling maybe love or appreciation, a sense of wonder and awe or interest. Um, these are all, these are all, you know, positive emotions that really give you a lot. Then I guess another element would be um, to, to really use your strengths more often and find, find ways, you know, how you can get rid of stuff that you need to do that doesn't play into your strengths. And your strengths are the things that you are good at and enjoy doing. So things that you could do for hours on end um, and to see how you can really play into those more and more and use them more often and get rid of tasks that maybe you're good at but you don't enjoy doing so they kind of suck your energy a little bit then yet another element is looking into you already mentioned it meaning or having a sense of purpose so really um, understanding for yourself why what you do is a good thing to do you know and it needs to be meaningful for you personally you know there's no no one sense of meaning that uh, is the, the truth of a capital T, but it needs to be meaningful to you. Um, and then also having a sense of progress and accomplishment is really motivating. And, um, you know, it's like when you, when you get something done, when you, when you achieve a good success together with a team to really also have those moments of celebration. And I could go on, so the list is long, um, but um, you can see those are, they sound really small, but they have such a big effect if we pay attention to those small adjustments. Well, one thing I thought about when, when you, you know, early on in this, during this, this sort of question is um, that happiness isn't really like an, an end goal, right? Especially at work, yeah. because at one moment you'll, you'll reach happiness because of an accomplishment or whatever it may be. And then you hit the, I think it's like the hedonic treadmill, right? Where you feel happy and then you feel back to normal, right? Your your mind sort of get used to that happiness that you just achieved. And then you're back at it, right? And then you you need to, again, look for that happy moment. So I guess maybe understanding also that it's not an end goal, but it's a continuous sort of um, process, I suppose, that that sometimes it's there, sometimes you need to look for it and and achieve things or realize what makes you happy to relive those moments um, at the office. Yeah, so it's, uh, if I may, I want to just pick up on because you said, uh, because you mentioned the word hedonic. So hedonic means, you know, being happy for pleasure. So I, I really do like a good accomplishment, a good salary, a, a well done or a bucket of ice cream sometimes. Mm. But um, there's this, um, this other part of happiness, you know, if we want to go back to the, um, to the, to the philosophers in, in Greece all, all the way back when, um, there's also this eudaimonic happiness or sense of fulfillment that we get when we do things for the greater good, you know, when we contribute to goals and, and things that are greater than ourselves and really for the better of others. So plus then there's, we really need to want to also 
distinguish between where does our motivation come from? Does it come from more external drivers, like, for example, a salary or having a certain status or and so on? So those are okay things to have. But like you said, we really get used to those things and their effect wears off sort of. So it's then also how can how can we at the same time also have those intrinsic motivators, you know, so so really understanding for the sake of what am I doing this year? And again, this why needs to be personally meaningful to you. But so if you can, you know, build those into your daily life and you can start find joy in the in the doing of it, then um, then you're really at the sweet spot. Well, the last thing I wanted to, to, to bring up is, well, you, you know, we try to find that meaning, you try to, we try to identify those reasons, and we develop the, the skills that we need to, to, to take advantage of those, those moments at work where we can step out of our comfort zone and, and really create the role that we want. But yeah, this brings me to, to, to imposter syndrome, right? Mm-hmm. So that little voice that tells you, wait, look, probably don't try that, you know, because mm-hmm. what if you're not good enough or mm-hmm. what if you don't have the skills or what's, you know, what are your thoughts on, on imposter syndrome? Because it is kind of like a tricky topic. Like some people yeah. empathize with it and think, oh, you know, it's okay. Believe in yourself. But I think also sort of thinking in that framework, I mean, it, it can also play with you, right? Like, how, what do you think about imposter syndrome and really, you know, maybe fixing it or how do you, mm-hmm. yeah, how do you approach it? Yeah, so it's definitely a thing. Yeah, I'm not denying its existence. However, I refuse to pay too much attention to it, even when I'm feeling it myself. Yeah, there, there are moments like regularly also in my life still, and I can see that many others where we just like, yeah it's like this was just luck or you know so oh, I'm do, do they really think I'm as good as that it's like I'm really not and then I catch myself with that and instead of just getting stuck on that label and just starting to really buy into oh I have imposter syndrome and then that would make me personally that would make me feel so heavy and it's like oh no I have this quote-unquote illness to treat about myself you know instead of focusing on that too much and I do the same thing with my clients is we start to really shift our attention um, in order to really develop the self-compassion that we need for ourselves when we're maybe not progressing as quick as we'd like or when we when we miss the mark or when we make a mistake or you know, when we fall short of expectations to really have self-compassion, to um, be, a, be a kind friend to ourselves so that we, that we really can tap into our full resourcefulness in order to come back better and stronger. And at the same time, whenever I approach new challenges or my clients take on new challenges, we really look into building a growth mindset. I'd really rather have us focus on, you know, the small things that are really working and that are helping us to to go after the opportunities and doing the things that we really want to do, um, even though sometimes we don't feel up to the challenge. Yeah, well, I suppose it's it's depending on how you interpret that feeling of imposter syndrome, right? I mean, is it, are you going to let it um, I suppose dictate your your tasks, your decisions, and and keep you from not doing 
what you need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes the harm, I, I think it's sort of something you maybe alluded to is sometimes you think you might tell yourself, actually, I, uh, I have imposter syndrome. So let's just battle through it and, and take the deep plunge and, ta- and, and, you know, attack that big task that we've been trying to do. But maybe you still need to upskill along the way, right? Before you, mm-hmm. before you really um, try to accomplish what it is that imposter syndrome is keeping you away from. It's um it's an interesting relationship because I have this thing with imposter syndrome, like, wait, am I experiencing imposter syndrome because I am actually good enough, but um, I'm afraid? Or am I experiencing imposter syndrome because maybe maybe I really, really am not, not good enough and I actually need to improve myself first, right? Like, is it imposter syndrome or is it just me actually genuinely like still needing to learn and and improve my skills before I, I try to accomplish that tasks. It's, um, I don't know, it's a, it's a tricky relationship to, to, to have. And, and I suppose it sort of paralyzes us from time to time. Yeah, we really need to learn to tune into ourselves and, and ask ourselves these questions, like you just said, and to really distinguish, okay, am I using this as an excuse here? Because I, you know, don't, don't want to take on the challenge or feel uncomfortable. Um, Or, do I don't do I do I not want to admit that I really do still have a lack in skills and so on and mm. um, you know and then uh, because that is also um, an element of our identity and how we see ourselves and again this is when we are in the fixed mindset when we're when we're solely focusing on what we already have instead of what we will be able to still build and develop. Well, that comes back to that that growth mindset you yes. said, and and then realizing that having that always, and then improving communication, identifying opportunities at work, mm-hmm. and so forth. So hopefully, we reach the full full circle here, um, Nicole. For more information about yourself and what you do, um, where can we go? Any website or social media that we can connect with you uh, in? Yeah. So. Um... I'm on LinkedIn regularly, so everybody come say hello over there. Um, and then uh, on my website, you can find some resources for you. Uh, I'm sure you put the link in the show notes. And then um, twice a year, I'm hosting a, a week-long masterclass series. It's called Women in STEM Reimagined. And it's basically free professional development advice for anyone who wants to it's not just for women obviously we don't (laughs) distinguish there but anyone who wants to come uh, learn and um, grow and develop it's really cool it's uh, I always bring in awesome guest guest experts to really cover the hot topics that we need to learn to really advance in our careers and um, be fulfilled at work. Absolutely. Well, for more information, I'll put the links to your website and social media in the episode description. And Nicole, thank you so much for your time. It's been amazing speaking with you. And uh, and yeah, looking forward to tackling that imposter syndrome or being self-aware and understanding my limitations and working <laughs> on them. Yeah, well, it was a very fun Friday evening. Thank you for that. It was great fun speaking with Nicole. Her social media and website are in the episode description. Give us a like or follow if you like this podcast. We're on Apple, Spotify, and all major platforms. Thanks again and stay safe.